Hello and welcome to Making UX Work. I am Joe Natoli. Our focus here is on folks like you doing the tough, often unglamorous work of UX in the real world. My guests share their struggles, their successes, and their journey to and through the trenches of product design, development, and of course, user experience. Before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Stash Studio, a streetwear clothing brand focused on quality products with a positive message, inspired by the resilience to turn a negative situation into a positive outcome, something obviously very close to my heart for those of you that know me. The Stash mantra is that even in the darkest times, there is a light revealing prosperity. Find your light, let it guide you through the darkness. Visit stash.studio to check out their incredibly well-designed products and learn more. My guest today is Russ Traster, who is still very new to the world of UX, but in his own words, has a passion for helping to make things suck less. (laughs) While he especially enjoys the research-related portions of the UX design process, Russ has had a very wide-ranging career across multiple industries, as you will hear. But the one constant and the thing that I really believe led him to UX is his very real and very honest empathy and concern for his fellow human beings. Here's my conversation with Russ Traster on making UX work. So Russ, how are you? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? Uh, pretty good. We got a nice blanket of snow here today. <laughs> you know, nice, I'm sorry, but nice and snow, those two words, they just don't really jive with me. So, Yeah, well, I don't like, I don't like dealing with it. I, I like looking at it. Yeah, that's the same thing. You know, we grew up in the Midwest, my wife and I, and uh, so we're totally used to snow. But then one summer or one year, one year in California was all it took to ruin us. And now anytime <laughs> we see this stuff, it's like, no. Um, but like you said, it is, it is pretty to look at, especially you get those big flakes and, you know, just that, that real picturesque scene, but driving in it, dealing with it on the, the roads and the sidewalks. No, thanks. <laughs> anyway, I'll complain later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could do a whole episode on complaining about snow. Yeah, probably, probably. And I'm like you, I grew up uh, in Ohio, so I'm used to I'm used to snow from like, you know, November until I don't know, April. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so Maryland's a little bit better yeah. uh, in that respect. Less to complain about. So anyway, uh all that aside, as I look down at your experience, I checked out your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Uh you've done a lot <laughs> of of very different things, my friend, and I find that very Interesting. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how you sort of went from your earliest jobs to, you know, moving towards UX now. I mean, how did, how did all of that take place? Yeah, well, it was kind of a, a process and I'll try to keep this as short as possible. I tend to get a little bit long winded when I tell this story, but the first, my first interest in UX was actually in my undergraduate degree. I got a bachelor of science in computer science with a minor in psychology and there was one course that was um, cross-departmental, if you want to, for lack of a better term, between the psychology and computer science departments. And it was called uh, Human Factors and Computer Systems, which now as I go back and look at like the notes and the projects that we did in that class, you know, 20 years ago, 
it, it it's UX. It's exactly what UX is. In fact, we designed we designed an interface for an ATM machine. We did user interviews. We did usability testing. All the kinds of things that you would do with UX design today, uh, before UX ever had a name. Right. And so that was kind of my first interest, and I didn't even know or think that that was something that I could actually pursue. I just thought computer science programming. That's what I'm going to do. So. Ended up getting a job after graduating college, doing programming, and found that it really just wasn't my cup of tea. I understood it, but not enough that I wanted to make a career out of it. And kind of a blessing in disguise, I ended up getting fired from my first job <laughs> as a programmer uh, after about 10 months. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I, I thought I, I liked to tell myself for the longest time, it, it was 2001, so right after September 11th happened. And I like to tell myself, oh, well, you know, all these companies, they're making changes, the economy's taking a hit, so they're all just laying off people. No, I just, I just sucked at it, and I got fired. And, <laughs> and like I said, it was, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I just, I didn't really enjoy it that much. In fact, I had talked to my boss and said, you know, I, I don't know that this is the right fit. And um, so anyway, uh, from there, I just started I didn't have a lot of experience in computer or in programming. And so it was difficult to find something in that field. I ended up going into customer service, kind of bounced around doing different things like that. And then as you saw from my profile, I did kind of a total 180 and uh, decided to give the ministry a shot. Mm -hmm. My dad has been a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor for over 30 years now I never thought about it growing up, never thought it was something that I wanted to do, but just kind of things aligned. I had actually started taking some classes for a master's in information systems, um, but then got laid off from Gateway Computers. If you remember them, they had a call center yeah, yeah. in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where we, my wife and I were living, and they decided to shut that down. And again, like I said, from there, ended up going to seminary. That was a four-year uh, four-year deal, um, ended up then in my first congregation in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota for about three years, and then went to a rural town in Nebraska for another three years, and then just got to the point where I thought, you know, I'm not really sure that I want to continue doing this ministry thing. Um, and, and in fact, it was at that point that I started, I was just looking back today I decided, you know, I tried to figure out, well, what do I want to do? I've always had an interest in technology, you know, had the background in computer science. And I went on to Udemy and I started looking at all these courses. And one of them was yours, Fundamentals in UX Design. And mm -hmm. I, and it was at the time, like, I think I had some coupon codes or classes were cheap. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll brush up on my programming skills or I'll check out this UX thing. So I just started buying all these courses like a hoarder. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. and I never actually sat down and, and did many of them. So your course, UX Design Fundamentals, it just sat on my Udemy shelf for the longest time. I ended up then getting a job in IT, I ended up working at a company in Lincoln, Nebraska, doing um, service desk work. You know, so we we did managed services for companies. Their IT, they would call in, and we would help them out over the phone or via email, stuff like that. And I eventually got promoted up in that company to where I was handling all of our internal stuff, and that that kind of resparked that interest in the UX thing. Um, started looking around because I, I dealt a lot with our software that we used as a company. 
And I, I would always find myself thinking, why did they design this? And I was always sending feedback to these companies uh, about the about the issues I was having use it or about, you know, the employees that that I had to help out them trying to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it still got to a point I still I still hadn't picked up your course yet. Still had it sitting on the shelf. <laughs> I like haunting you. It was, yeah. It was kind of always there, and I'm like, I should really do this sometime. And anyway, I uh, basically I decided, you know, I, I didn't want to keep doing the IT thing. I thought, you know, I've invested a lot of time and money and uh, in the whole ministry thing, and I thought, well, let's give this another shot. So I ended up getting a uh, position as a pastor out in California. That was the year that ruined us for winter, as I was telling you before. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we lived out there and really kind of from, from the get-go, I knew that uh, I knew that the ministry thing wasn't right for me still. You know, I, I wanted to give it another shot. You know, you put basically 10 years of your life into something. Sure. I thought, you know, maybe I, maybe I gave up on that too early, but no, I uh, I decided that that it wasn't the right thing. I ended up resigning, and that's when I finally picked up your course, and and went through the whole thing, um, and really decided, you know, I'm going to give this UX thing a shot. Interesting. So and yeah, and so uh, that was kind of the start. So anyway, I've been talking a lot. Uh, that's right. Want to throw in some questions or anything there? <laughs> by all means. No, that's the point. It, the whole point is to tell your story, and here is what's really interesting to me as you're talking, right? I'm listening and admittedly, I'm looking, you know, again at these positions as you talk about them. Here's an interesting commonality that I see, all right? From software engineer to customer service rep to uh, staffing consultant to tech support specialist to the gig at Wells Fargo, uh, IT help desk to pastor, okay, in particular, um, Back to IT, back to pastor, back to, all right, now we're getting you know, into UX again. The common thread through all this stuff to me is that in every situation, you're in a position where your end concern is human beings. Right. Right? And, and even you know, if you just look at the ministry piece of this, I mean, what's it all about, right? It's about human beings. It's how they're living, how, what they're struggling with, what their maybe goals and aspirations are what they're trying to achieve, in this case, personally, spiritually. I, I find that interesting. And the reason I find it interesting is because I have a sort of a running theory that I think eventually, if you go long enough, right, you keep trying things, you keep doing new things, no matter how different those things are, you eventually get to what's right for you. You know what I mean? It just sort of comes forward through all that experience. Yeah. The reason I point that out is because for everybody listening, I, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to who are intimidated and, and feeling like, well, I, I'm never going to be able to get into UX or design or product design or whatever it is, because I don't have the, the skills. I don't have the quals. I haven't had enough jobs. You know, I haven't, la, 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 la. That's not necessarily true. If you look back in a certain way, it may very well be that everything in your life up to now is leading you to where you need to go. What do, what do you say to all that <laughs> based on your own experience? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I've thought the same thing too, as I look back through all those, like you said, there's that common theme. I've always I've always had a care and a concern for people and wanting to help people. And this is kind of one of those fields, UX, where it it marries that passion that I've always seen and felt along with that passion that I have for technology, because it wasn't that I, I hated that IT job or anything. It just, it wasn't quite the right fit 
And like I said, as I was working with people and trying to use all the different software products that we had at our company and hearing their frustrations, I was the point person always to pass those on then right. to our software vendors. Right. And and I've seen the same thing too, Joe, as I've gotten involved on the Twitter community with UX, so many people from so many varied backgrounds. Um, you know, a lot you hear of people working in customer service, then going into UX, you know, um, Doug Collins, uh, you know, I believe that was his path. He said he was working in a call center, if I'm not mistaken, yep. and just started kind of organically doing things that are known as UX now and eventually working into that role. I, I think I'm right on that. Yeah, yeah, you are. But again, uh, seeing that with so many other people too, uh, just these varied backgrounds, but Still, again, seeing those common threads where you see their care and their compassion for people, that, that empathy that, you know, that is at the heart of UX. Right. And that's what it is, right? That thread is always there. And I think you find yourself in positions where you're like, eh, part of this is okay. But like you said, you know, it's just not, something's not right. It's not the right fit. Right. You know, and, and, and I love this. All right. I love seeing the variance. Every guest I've had on this podcast so far, the path to where they are now has been widely varied. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I love that because people say to me all the time, I mean, I get a lot of mail <laughs> and people are always going, well, you know, I don't think, I don't think I could do it. Like, why me? And I think to myself, why not you? Yeah. All right. Why not you? I mean, there's just more than one path to this. I, I'm probably beating a dead horse at this point, but I just think it's a really important point because so many people, young people in particular, um, sort of psych themselves out. And older people too, who are, who are looking for a career change, psych themselves out when it comes to design or UX or, or you know any of these things. And, and I think they're all viable paths. Yeah, I, w I totally agree with you. Uh, the people that I've talked to, um, again, just seeing that that same commonality that they don't necessarily have the design background. That that's what really intimidated me, quite honestly, was the visual design part of things. Mm -hmm. And thinking, oh well, crap, I'm not a graphic designer. You know, I I can barely put on clothes that match. You know, <laughs> let alone try to, uh, you know, let alone try to design something that that looks nice. But you know, even on that side of things, uh, the analogy that I've often used when it comes to that part. So this would be an encouragement for for anybody listening if they have that same hang up. Is you don't necessarily have to be. This is my opinion, and you can tell me because you've been in this industry a lot. Tell me if you agree or disagree. But my opinion is that you don't necessarily have to be great at doing the graphical design, the UI side of things from scratch. But if you're good at recognizing what's good and what's not and being able to articulate that and to give some feedback on that, I think that can be valuable as well. I, was gonna, I said I was going to use an analogy. I think of it like interior design. Yeah. And I joked about, you know, getting dressed. Like if you give me a blank room and say, okay, design this, you've got unlimited budget, whatever, you know, just go ahead and design it as you see fit that's most aesthetically pleasing to you. I would be overwhelmed with that. I wouldn't know what to do. I don't think I could design that room to save my life. Mm -hmm. But if you give me that room after it's been designed by somebody else, a professional interior designer, I could go through and tell you, yeah, I like this. I don't like that. And, and here's why, you know, and at least back it up with some rationale. And to me, that's still a valuable skill set to have. And, and I see that then for myself is I would love to work on a team where maybe I'm not the one tasked with 
having to come up with those designs from scratch and, and develop all the UI, yeah. but to work with others who are really gifted in the visual side and then use, you know, my gifts on the psychology side or just, you know, human interaction side to say, let's tweak this maybe, let's move this here or whatever. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And, and I, I think that's an absolute truth. Okay. That's a mantra that I repeat to developers in particular all the time, because I speak at developer specific conferences, programming specific conferences. And a lot of the teams I work with, I can't tell you how many clients I've had where there were no designers, no UX people, no anything. And these folks are responsible for both. And what I tell them is, I get that you don't, you feel like you don't have any visual talent. I'm here to tell you it does not matter. Okay. That doesn't mean you cannot create a product that has a good, clean user interface that follows rules of good design. It's a matter of knowing the rules. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter whether you can do it or not, right? Whether you're the person who can sort of imagine that stuff out of your head, it doesn't matter. It's a valuable skill. Don't get me wrong. I happen to be both. I started out in graphic design, but that's not always the case. And it's just like the should designers code thing. It's the same argument. Do you need to understand how it works? Absolutely. Do you have to, to have an understanding of good versus bad and, and what level of effort maybe is involved so that you're proposing things that are realistic, right? Or reacting in a way that's realistic or suggesting changes that are realistic? Of course. Do you need to be able to physically do it? I don't think so. Yeah. All right. I really don't buy that. And, and I think part of the reason there's all this conflation of visual design and UX and front end development is, and this is one of the areas that I happen to be cynical in, I guess, is that companies for a long time, business as a whole is largely sort of fairly ignorant to what all this is. And that was true when graphic design was a thing. Okay. Graphic designers were people who just like pressed a few buttons and made everything pretty. Nobody had any idea how much effort goes into good graphic design, visual design. Okay. It's a monstrous level of effort because it includes making sure that what you're doing is appropriate for your audience, making sure you know who you're designing for, what they want, what they need, what they you know, are supposed to get out of it, how they're supposed to be guided. Right. And that sort of continued, right? And, and it's why in organizations you have one or two UX people or one designer to 40 programmers. <laughs> right. All right. It's why the ratio is the way it is. So what you described in a long-winded way of getting to a point finally, is that to your point, the ideal situation is that you have multiple people in UX and visual design, right? And maybe even specifically content and information architecture and those types of things on a multidisciplinary team, simply because it's hard for one person to do that massive volume of work and do it all equally well. Right. You're one person. <laughs> I mean, it's an unrealistic expectation. And yeah. I think on some level, we all know that, but, but industry as a whole is still very behind in its maturity. As much lip service, I say this all the time, as much lip service as companies give to UX, they're still really, really behind the curve. You know, and I don't think that ever stops being true. So yeah, you're, that's a really extraordinarily long-winded way of saying, you're right, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going both ways, Joe. I, I get I get super long-winded, I guess. That's the, you know, you can take the preacher out of the church, but you can't take the preacher out of the guy. I don't know. That didn't make any sense, but you get what no, I'm trying it did, to say. No, it yeah. did actually. And, and, and I'll tell you something else. This, this has nothing to do with this conversation, but I have always entertained the idea of one way or another being a preacher. Really? Can you believe it? I mean, seriously, it's always in the back of my mind, simply because anything that I'm passionate about, 
I have always been the person where I want to stand up on the stage and get animated and, and, and speak from the heart yeah. and, and, you know, just be who I am. That has always appealed to me in that way. I mean, my, my sort of spiritual beliefs are, are sort of a mix of, of things at this point, but the passion and the fire and the, the willingness to go on about it, you know, I, it, that's always been part of my thing. That, that's, that's been part of my makeup for as long as I can remember. Just occasionally I go, you know, that would be really great to do. Well, and, and that passion piece, that passion piece is, is so key. And, you know, not just the ministry thing, uh, but you get those glimpses into your own life at times, right? Where you're talking about something and, uh, and you do end up getting long winded and you find <laughs> yourself getting louder and louder. I, I have people sometimes, you know, when I get excited about something, I'll talk and I'm louder and louder. Yeah. And like, Russ, you know, quiet down, man. I'm right in front of you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, and, and that was, you know, incidentally part of why I decided to leave the ministry because, you know, and there'll be people that'll tell you, and, and I think rightfully so, you know, it's not all about the passion and, sure. and that you're not going to have that all the time. And of course, that's true in any career. But for me, it was just one of those things where the more time went on, I'm like, my heart just isn't in this like mm-hmm. I think it should be, especially for a position like that. It really, yeah. it, it really uh, requires the person, I think, to, to just have that. And, yeah. and like I said, for me, it just wasn't there. I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with not to change subjects, but to pick up a thought before I forget it about the whole industry being a little bit ignorant to this whole idea of UX. And I think, I think you're so right on that. And I'm basing it, if on nothing else, just look at job descriptions that you see. Yeah. Um, how many of them do you see where it's UI slash UX or, you know, the other way around, or you see that there's this emphasis on, the graphic design. And so I think that's why I had the intimidation I did because as I look through those job listings, it's like, well, you've got to have a graphic design background. And I think, and tell me your thoughts on it, but, but to me, I'm guessing it's coming out of that ignorance to some extent where companies, you know, now UX is, is finally becoming over the last, you know, five years or so, whatever is becoming a known thing or it's becoming more known, Yeah, but it's still not to the point where people really understand it. Yep. They just know, oh, this is something we should probably have. And they still kind of conflate it with the whole graphic designer, which brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you and get your thoughts on. I saw this discussion going on the other day. I think Doug, again, may be the one that did it on Twitter. (laughs) Instigator. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it was about, you know, what about that term UX design? Should we call it something else? Is that word design becoming a a hurdle or a, a speed bump of sorts? What are your thoughts? In one respect... Yeah, but so is UX. Okay. So is so is any number of titles or 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 practice names that I could give you right now. They're all problematic. Okay. When when we say UX is is sort of known now to companies, that's not entirely true. The terms are known to companies. Sure. The terms are known. Okay. What is actually involved in the work isn't. Now it's easy to say, well, oh, they just, you know, they don't get it. And these people are just clueless and rah, 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 and get on your soapbox. You have to look at it from the context of their environment. Okay. From the time you go to business school anywhere of any kind, okay, whether that's an online program or you're at university or whatever, in, in any number of traditional fields, let's say that are business related and, and IT is included here. 
okay? Information technology of any kind, computer science, um, whatever the case may be, even fields like marketing um, and things like that. There is no curriculum specifically around user experience, around human factors, around product design, around visual design, UI design, around all the things that, that we sort of take for granted, right? To us, this is the majority of our world. To all those folks that came up in different programs that have all these positions, they're never exposed to it. Even all the business websites that, that give lip service to UX and product design and all these terms, read some of those articles. It's surface level stuff where you can tell like they really kind of don't get it. And in a way, that's just the nature of that beast, right? They're, they're brought up in a way where they're sort of insulated from a lot of that to the moment they get inside an organization and that insulation continues. So I guess where I'm going is it's a matter of, of trying to combat that and communicate back that, well, actually I do more than that. And, and here's what that is. In the case of job descriptions, right? And I say this all the time. If you read the job description and you think it's a company I want to work for, and, and I think there are some things I could do to help them, and maybe you know 20% of what you see in that listing sounds good, and the rest of it is like, yeah, but I don't do any of that, apply anyway. Because there's a really good chance that they don't really need those things that they, they have on that list. They just don't know what they need, so they're throwing everything in that, yeah. in that description, right? Well, okay, well, we think it's this. I mean, I'm very serious. <laughs> right. A lot of recruiters and hiring managers do that because they feel like, okay, well, here's what goes with that position. They're winging it too, to some degree, you know? So it's not malicious necessarily yeah. in any way. That, that's, I think what I'm trying to say. It's just, it, it's, it's a, it's a misunderstanding just like UX and design folks misunderstand developers and programmers and business people and marketing people and salespeople, you know, that cuts both ways, but never just assume that, that, that has to shut you down in any way. It doesn't. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I know I've I've seen you say that uh, numerous times, and I think it's a drum that you need to keep beating. Yeah, I think so. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you know, and just and keep reminding, uh, reminding people of that. So with where you are right now, what are your plans for near future, you know, uh, far <laughs> off? Do you, do you have a crystal ball? Have you, have you, get, have you given some thought to um, you know, where you feel like at least you're headed or what you want to do? Man, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> that would be a, that would be, don't we all, right? Um, it's funny you ask that because just, I think it was just yesterday, I had one of those moments on uh, Twitter where I decided to be a little bit more transparent and, and vulnerable. Um, I, I mean, I'm always honest, but, you know, just a little bit more. And I said something to the effect of, you know, for the last nine months or so, I just feel like I've been wandering a bit and a little bit aimless. And um, as you probably saw from my LinkedIn profile, and, and maybe we've chatted about it just in crossing on Twitter before, but when I decided to go into UX, we moved here to Salt Lake City. We've got some family here. And it was also because there's a number of different, you know, quote unquote, boot camps that teach UX design. And I thought that that would be a good way to get a leg up on the industry, you know, to to learn to have some kind of credentials behind my name. What I didn't realize is that, you know, boot camps aren't necessarily looked at with the highest of regard by all companies. You know, some of them, especially I found, unfortunately, with the coding ones, I just saw some discussions. People say, yeah, you know, okay, they get some basics, but 
there's just so much more to it and people come out writing, you know, unclean code and it just, it's not the greatest. Yeah. And unfortunately seeing some of the same things, you know, for UX and, and the boot camp or UX boot camps. So anyway, as, as I was going through that course, it, it wasn't quite as comprehensive or complete as I would have hoped for. I did, I did learn some fundamentals. I met some great people going through that experience. Um, I wish there would have been a stronger focus on actually building out our portfolios. You know, we did some projects, but there really wasn't the guidance that I was hoping for in terms of, okay, here's what you need to put in the portfolio. Here's how it should look. Mm-hmm. Here's you know, what you should write for this, so on and so forth. But as I went through that, to to actually answer your question about plans, so there was uh, there were some people that I'd met in my class, and we started talking about this idea of, well, what if you know going out, could we possibly make it work to do like our own agency, you know, our own UX agency, sure. basically be a a freelancer with multiple people, and so we kind of started pursuing pursuing that idea. And for a number of reasons, and, and it, it just it just wasn't in the cards. I had reached out to someone that I had met through Twitter about doing uh, someone that had a number of years of experience in the industry. Uh, and this person was interested, and in fact, that developed into some part-time work for me. Uh, they had gotten a project, a side project. Basically, they were working freelance and invited me to help out with doing some of the research and some of the study. And so I was doing that, but eventually that became too much for them. And so they backed out of that project, which basically left me without uh, without that. And And I totally understand. So I started kind of kicking around the idea still, well, what about doing this agency thing? Maybe this could work. And I talked to a number of people and it was just kind of one of those things again, where um, it just, it didn't line up mm-hmm. people for various reasons. They, they couldn't commit to doing it. And I felt that I don't know if I can do this by myself. Again, as I talked about earlier, I like that collaboration and I, I like to have someone who, who complements my skill set. you know, again, with the visual thing. So right now I've, I've thought about, you know, maybe looking at traditional jobs again or freelance or, or something. So I've been on Upwork kind of looking through some of those things. Mm-hmm. I really feel that, uh, that the research side, again, that human connection, talking with people, doing the usability testing, doing the user interviews, surveys, that's where I feel my skill set lies. And so I'd love to get into that. But as I've looked at job listings and things, UX research is few and far between. Yep. You know, again, it's still one of those things where you you just you see a lot of people looking for more of the generalist. So quite honestly, I just I don't quite know. I don't know where I'm headed. I've I've thought about maybe I just go back into IT. Not quite sure. I'm just I'm kind of <laughs> Just kind of wandering a little bit. Yeah, and that's there's nothing abnormal about that. <laughs> you know, I mean what you're describing is is what everybody goes through one way or another. Yeah. You know, I I, I my entire history has been okay, I kind of think I want to do this. Um try something, doesn't quite work out, try something else, doesn't quite work out, try something else, have a little success, eh, but this isn't it. I'm hating this. Do something else. And and you know, I, I just sort of dove in and, and tried stuff <laughs> just because I, I was either naive enough or, or yeah. bold enough or whatever it was to believe that I could. So this is no different. I mean, you're, you sound like you're fairly clear on, on what you're after. And, and in a way, one of the things that you said at the beginning when we first started talking was that, you know, you were the person who was, who was always saying to these organizations or these software vendors or whoever, you know, here's there's a problem here. And if, if this worked this way, or if it, you know, didn't do this, 
um, it would probably be better. And and that's probably part of your DNA, right? So yeah, part of figuring out where you need to go is is finding opportunities to simply apply that in any way, whether that's a paid gig um, or not. Now, I'm not suggesting you give your opinions and advice away for free, <laughs> right? But you can certainly start with organizations and businesses, for example, uh, around you. And I say all this for the benefit of, of people who are listening. One of the things I used to do early on when I started my first company, Natoli Design Group, is I just decided I got so tired of networking events and, and um, you know, all this, this press and flesh and having conversations and like nothing ever coming from it. You know, I used to go to all these events and it's just, it was just a tremendous waste of time. I had fun. I met a lot of really cool people. But nothing business-wise ever came of it. So what I started doing um, is I literally just started critiquing things and sending those critiques to to organizations in the mail. Mm, nice. <laughs> just sending them to the marketing manager, you know, with a very respectful letter and, and say, look, I, I saw this and, and here's what I think. And I, I think it could be better. Yeah. And here's why you, I think you should care about it. It, it. it might be able to gain you this, this, or this. And there was a specific result attached right? Even to the tune of like local businesses down the street, like, you know, we eat here twice a week. Your food is phenomenal, but every time we go in there, there's only three people in the entire place, which tells me that nobody knows about you, right? So maybe if you did this, 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 and this, yeah, you know, just give it some thought. Let me know what you think. Um, and sometimes people just ignored that. And on a few occasions, people got angry with me. But on other occasions, they said, okay, talk to me about that. Tell me more. Right. And you parlay that into, you know, a short term gig of some kind. And it does a couple of things, right? It allows you to to sort of exercise your your chops in a sort of a low risk situation. And um it allows you to build a client base as well. Because the more you have, the more you can say, Well, I've worked with this person and this person and this person. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they're big names. It's just a matter of being able to say, Yeah, I've done this. All of which is to say, again, kind of like I was saying before, there's no one right way to do this. And it doesn't have to be a grand gesture. It could be something small, but, but find a way to, to flex that muscle and, and that skill that you have. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've heard similar advice from other people, you know, basically find those problems that exist out there and uh, come up with some kind of a solution or at least start in that direction. I listed an example the other day. My kids love to watch YouTube videos. You know, it's mm -hmm. the new like Saturday morning cartoon thing, right? These days, Yeah. which by the way, you know, isn't it sad that our kids, they just don't get to experience that joy of waking up late on Saturday morning and just watching cartoons yeah. till noon, you know, sitting in your pajamas. Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Yeah. And now everything's on demand, but uh so they watch YouTube, they watch YouTube videos, and there's a number of channels that they subscribe to. And uh, I noticed one day they were sitting there and they were browsing through, you know, it'll give you suggestions, right? Of, you know, here, here's something similar to what you've liked, or here's a new video on a channel you subscribe to. And they were going through on the, on the, we have a smart TV. So they're going through with a remote and they would go to a video and they would watch it for just a few seconds. And then they'd go back out again. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're saving the video for later. You know, if you go into it, then then you just have to go into the history folder and look at the stuff you've watched. That way, you know, because every time you go into that, that recommended section, it's changing because yeah. there's so many videos being produced, right? So they wanted a way to keep track of it. And I'm like, you have to go through that process. I'm like, let me, give me the remote. So I went and looked and, and at least on our TV to do it, you, if you want to actually save it using their built-in method, you have to go into the video Typically, you have to watch a few seconds of an ad, 
then the video starts, then you have to like click down on the remote and then several clicks to get to the section where you can actually save it to a folder. And I showed my son, I'm like, well, here's how you actually save it. And they're like, no, that's too hard. I'm like, I'll just keep doing it the way that I'm doing it. It's this workaround. Yes, it is. And I'm like, this is usability testing, you know, in, in the flesh, right? You know, and I'm like, um, and I, so then I started pulling out, I, I pulled out my iPhone and I looked at the YouTube app and I'm like, it's totally a different experience there. Yep. There, you can just see the video thumbnail and you can tap on the little menu, the kebab, yep. and you say save for later and boom, you're done. And I'm like, why didn't they replicate that somehow on, you know, in the TV? And, and granted, I mean, we're talking YouTube. I'm sure they did testing and things. And for whatever reason, they made the decision they did. Well, it's probably the manufacturer. I mean, the TV, the TV ecosystem, um, you know, the, the little computer that, that it's going to live on comes with its own, with its own sets of gates. Right. <laughs> And constraints. Exactly. Constraints. That's the word I was going to say. You know, obviously they, they had reasons that they had to do that, but yep. But those kinds of things, that's exactly what you were talking about. That's what came to mind for me is to, to look at some of those things and, you know, just that's what people have told me. Hey, this sounds like a great case study for a portfolio. Just absolutely just write it up. And once again, I'll, I'll, I'll lean to your expertise here. Um, you know, some have even said as far as you wouldn't even have to necessarily go through the process of doing all the research yeah. and doing all the testing, just write out a plan yes. of what you would do if this were a real project. Exactly right. You don't have to get into every single detail. What matters Okay. What matters is that somebody who's going to hire you can see themselves in that scenario. The actual solution, the actual, like what research you do and all that, all those nuts and bolts don't matter as much as this person is able to identify an untapped opportunity yeah. that could maybe increase uh, our, our user base or increase our profile, whatever the, the end goal is, right? Talking about it and saying, there's an opportunity to be had here and here's what needs to change and here's why it needs to change. And here's what the end result could be. And then here's how we would go about figuring out how to do that. That's enough. That's the part that most people are going to care about. You know, whether it's whether it's an employer or someone looking to hire you um, as a freelance person, consultant, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But you you absolutely should do that and publish it yourself. Put it on a blog. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be in a portfolio. Just and I say this to people all the time. You know, you, use social media. <laughs> To have those conversations, put yourself out there. This is how I think, right? This is what I do. This is what I see yeah. in the world. That's how you're being judged. Yeah. You know, so all those, all those, I say that to everybody listening, all those thoughts that you have in your head, just like the scenario Russ just described, all those scenarios, times you have in your head where you're like, oh my God, why is this such a pain in the ass? <laughs> <laughs> a daily occurrence, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, take 15 minutes and write it down. Hell, I do it. All this, I'm always complaining about something lately. It's like, it's the same kind of thing. I, we use a, a marketing tool right now whose name I won't mention, but there's a, a part of their process that is now, a lot of times we have admins do this stuff, but occasionally I have to go in and do it. And when I do it, I think to myself, like, are you serious? There's like 12 extra steps to this where this could all happen on one screen in one shot. Right. And I wouldn't have to, you know, I could cut like 10 minutes out of my life every single time. And, and that's, I wrote it down the other day. I'm like, write this up in, in short form and send it to this. Cause they're like, they're not exactly a startup, but they're contenders. Sure. And they really have disrupted some of the major players because a lot of what they do is really smart. But there's this other piece where it's like, you know, you guys, you could be the, you could have the ace in the hole right now. 
over all these folks if you could get this little piece right and it wouldn't take much. Yeah. from a technical perspective it wouldn't take much at all so i am going to do it so again if you have those thoughts man just, just do it just do it write it down put it out there yeah no that's that's great advice and i've and uh, you know i've heard that from other people um i've even heard stories of people that uh, you know they say yeah i just wrote up a medium article on something like that and and basically that was that was my foot in the door yep. to get an interview and eventually get a job so you just you never know what it's going to take and i think that's been one of the biggest challenges and and I know you've spoken to it you know kind of the the gatekeeping in this industry <laughs> it's there the the hiring process that you see it's just like you know I mean someone listed it out I can't remember who it was on Twitter but you know what a typical hiring process and they, they were being a little bit facetious but the sad part is it, it wasn't like really stretching the truth that much I think they had like maybe 12 steps or something yep. and they put a, a couple funny things in there but the rest of it was true. I mean, it's like if you can even get to the interview itself, yeah, that takes uh, you know a grand feat, it seems. But then the, the interviews you hear, it's just like I sometimes I get intimidated and don't even want to apply because I'm like, man, I don't want to go through this six seven step process and still even then not have the guarantee that I may get it and have to move on to the next one. So yeah, and that's possible, right? It's 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 entirely possible that that may be the outcome. Yeah, that's the risk you take. And it's, it's unfortunate that that's where we are. I don't agree with any of it personally. Right. But I also don't have the power to change it unless I happen to be consulting with that company and they're asking me, why can't we get good people? <laughs> and I say, well, cause you got too many gates in place yeah. and the right people aren't getting through. Um, but that's all the more argument, quite honestly, for maybe finding ways to circumvent that a little bit. I totally agree with you. And a number of people have told me, you know, the key is, you know, using, you know, platform like LinkedIn, you know, that's more on the professional side of things and finding someone at a company that, that you think you might want to work at, identifying someone there and, and reaching out and just talking to them and say, hey, I, I saw this opportunity. I, I think maybe I might be a good fit. I'd love to hear your story about how you got there yep. and, you know, what you enjoy about it. And let's just chat and see where this goes. This brings up another point that I'd like to ask you about because I know you've you've mentioned this several times, especially on LinkedIn, and I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, talking about that, you get so many requests from people saying, "Hey, connect with me," and it's always the "gimme, gimme, gimme," right? Yes. And and I know you've said that multiple times. Like, come to people with what you can offer them. The challenge, the challenge I see. And so I'd love to hear your advice on this, because I'm sure this will apply to other people listening is when you're in a position like mine, where I'm really still looking for that big break, that first big break, and I'm reaching out to people, I don't feel I have anything to offer them personally. And so really, I am kind of in a position almost of, of gimme, gimme, gimme. And I try not to come off like that. But what's your advice to kind of help to kind of help get around that. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Like, Yeah, it does. Well, see, there, there are a couple of different kinds of asks, okay? And you can ask for help without offering something in return. It all depends on how you do it. The things that I, that I talk about on LinkedIn specifically, I get, here are, the, here are the kinds of requests I'm talking about. I'll get a, a blind request from somebody that's maybe six, seven paragraphs. In other words, the, the sum total of what they're asking me to look at, comment on, and be specific about and give them guidance is something that would take about 20 hours worth of my time. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that, that's when you do that and, and say, 
in a way that doesn't say, you know, if you, re- if you had the time, I'd really appreciate it and I'm struggling. That's one thing. It's another thing to say, I need this. And if you could do that, blah, 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 that would be great. Yeah. Life doesn't work that way in any respect. Right. All right. It's, it's an, I get asks all the time where people say, look, I, there are a few things um, at my job or I'm looking for a job and, and I'm really, really struggling. And if you have five minutes, I just have two questions I'd like to ask you and, and, and get your two cents. If you know, if you have the time and I understand if you don't, that, that's a very different ask. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's a very different ask and I will make time. I will find time somewhere <laughs> to get back to that person. All right. I, I will always do that. And I think you'll find that most people will. In some cases, if what you're asking is big, then you, you do need to find something, even if it's only saying, if there's anything I can do for you in return, just ask. Yeah. But there's also nothing wrong with approaching somebody and saying, I really um, would like some guidance uh, on some things. And here's what that entails. And if you have the time, even just five minutes to point me in the right direction, that would be awesome. And if not, I totally understand. It's the way you ask. Yeah. It really is the way you ask. Now, in terms of talking to somebody about a, a, you know, an open position, <laughs> see, I think it's a couple of things. If, when, when, when recruiters post positions, and, and I only say this because I get hit up by recruiters on LinkedIn every day, and, and 90% of them offer me jobs that I would have had 15 years ago, yeah. um, if not longer. <laughs> <clears throat> so I know that they don't bother reading my profile. Right. And when I ask questions... Because every once in a while, I'll get one that looks like it might actually be sort of a, a, a part-time or a, like a virtual executive type advisory role. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm interested in, in just about everything. So if it looks remotely interesting, I'll go, okay, tell me more about this. And then they disappear. And what I hear a lot from other people as well is when they respond to recruiters on, online, they pretty much don't answer back. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but if it is, all the more reason to find somebody in a UX position at that company, okay? Look up the same company on LinkedIn and look for senior UX people. And that's the person that you connect with and send a message to and say, hey, I saw this, this position was open and you know, I, I talked to the recruiter, but I'm not getting any answers back. If you have two minutes, could you tell me a little bit about the job and, and what it's like to work there? There's nothing wrong with that. I honestly think you're more likely to get a response from that person yeah. Then you are from the recruiter. Because in all honesty, in most cases, and I'm going to offend a lot of people right now, but <laughs> a lot of these recruiters don't know shit, okay? They don't. They don't. About that, about that specific <laughs> job, about that position, about that whatever. They work for an organization whose job it is to put butts in seats. Now, right. there may be senior people above them who are very well-versed, right? Who, who do understand all that, um, who may be vetting the information that they bring in. But nine times out of 10, the folks making the request aren't as knowledgeable as they probably could be or should be about the job. And that's not necessarily a knock on them either. Okay. That's, that's kind of just the way the industry works. Yeah. So my point is you may be better off going to other folks in that organization and asking questions and saying, you know, if you have five minutes to talk to me, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I'm new. I'm, I'm sort of getting my feet wet here and I'm trying to figure out what types of positions might be a good fit for me. Can we talk? If they're local, you say, you know, can I buy you lunch? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. The worst they're going to say is no. Right. But again, I, I, think you'll get a, I think you'll get a better response from those folks than you will from recruiters by and large. I could be wrong, but that's my, that's my sense. 
Well, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've experienced that a little bit too with the recruiter side of things. I'll get the ones that, that make me just laugh are it's completely different from anything even remotely close to what I have on my profile. I yeah. think I got one the other day for, um, you know, it was basically like something that a full stack developer should do. And it's like, did you, you clearly didn't look at my history at all. No, they don't. Okay, I got a degree in computer science, but it's like I I haven't done anything remotely close. It was all these, you know, different programming languages, some that I I completely don't know, some I've never even heard of, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, no thanks. And again, right, that has to do with how they do the jobs, right? It's it's what marketing used to call spray and pray, right? You, right. you just you send out a high volume of stuff <laughs> and you to everyone that's even remotely close to what you're looking for and you hope that you hit something. Right. <laughs> Which is right. an old, it's a, it's an old time honored approach and it still hasn't died off. Okay. It's because I, I really think that these people would have a better success rate if they did just a little more legwork up front. Yeah. So that's not abnormal. What you're describing is not abnormal and it's a symptom of the way that industry works. Yeah. And and I wanted to go back to what you were saying before that, because I think you're 110% right about the how you ask. And that's been my approach. So it's, I agree with you and it's, and it's affirming to hear you say that. And I guess the word I would use, and if you've got a better word, feel free, but the word I would use with that is coming from a place of humility. Yes. Um, because I think that's another big factor. And I, I hear that constantly from people in the UX industry is that sense of, you know, empathy, of course, we talk about that a lot, but humility, um, coming from a standpoint that says, I know, I don't know everything. I know that I have stuff to learn. I know that I'm in a position where I need help. And I know you're in a position where you have that expertise, but I res humility and respect, right? Respecting of someone else's space, their time. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to hear you say that because that, that's been my approach when I reach out to people is, hey, um, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot on your plate. And I know I'm asking something and I don't really have anything to offer in return at this point, but I would love it if you could, you know, if you've got the time, help me out with this. And if nothing else, if I don't, if I can't give anything to you in return, uh, I just promise that I'll try to pay it forward. Right, right. Uh, anytime I can, you know? Right. And kind of on that note is, uh, I guess I found this community in particular, when I say this community, UX in particular, and especially on Twitter, has just been a phenomenal group of people. Um, yeah, I mean, we're human, so we're imperfect, and, and everybody's going to be an ass from time to time, myself included. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. You know, and, and, <laughs> and or everybody's going to think that, you know, they, they've got everything together. But um, by and large, I've seen that humility. I've seen that willingness to help. Even like I was mentioning that that tweet that I put out where I said, you know, hey, I, I'm kind of wandering aimlessly here. The number of people that that commented on it, the number of people that reached out in direct messages and said, hey, man, you doing okay? You know, if there's any way I can help yep. or I can relate to what you're going through, it was awesome to see that. And on that note, I want to thank you for pointing me to the Twitter community. Um, you probably don't know this, but um, the way I found out about it and the way I got engaged was because after I took your Udemy course, you you know you mentioned in there that you've got that closed Facebook group, mm -hmm. and so I joined that. and And I'm not big on Facebook anymore, but I did join your your Facebook group. And I remember one time somebody asked a question like, 
where do I get the best feedback? Or if I, you know, if I need to get a critique or, or help yeah. and you said Twitter, yeah, because it's quick, it's fast, people are engaged. And I was like, I had this Twitter account seriously <laughs> for 10 years and I had like 20 followers. I hadn't really tweeted anything of any substance. But I decided to go on there and engage, and and I I started following you, and I think through that I found Doug Collins, who's huge in the UX Twitter community. Yep. So anybody else listening to this, if you haven't heard of Doug Collins, follow him. I mean, he's daily doing these you know UX talks where it's just it's just engaging and getting people to talk. And through that, just got to meet a number of people and uh, the UX chat done by UX, uh, Better UX. Um, they do that on Thursdays. Yep. Uh, that's been uh, a, a huge boon. And you want to talk about something to boost your confidence. And, and going back to that stuff we were talking about earlier, where you realize you don't necessarily have to have the specific training or a specific background to be able to contribute. That's right. That's been one of the biggest things for me is just seeing look, wow, I, I actually do have something to contribute to this conversation. And again, even there, I come from a standpoint of like, well, all my years of experience, you know, no, I, I'm coming to it of a place where I say, you know, hey, I, I don't have that much experience in the industry, but this is what it seems like to me, or this is what I think. And then people say, yeah, you're absolutely right, Russ. Or, well, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but it's actually a little bit more like this. So it, it's a learning and a refining process, which has been been really cool. But again, what a supportive group, what a, uh, an encouraging group. Totally agree. It's really been, really been great. So thank you for pointing me in that direction without even knowing you were. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy about that. I mean, it's, and that's what I love about it as well. Okay. You're always going to have people who are going to jump in, um, and act like gatekeepers, you know, and, and some people, some people exist simply to tell other people that they're wrong. Right. <laughs> and, and Twitter's a great place, you know, for, for them to do that. Yeah. And, and that's okay. You just have to sort of take it with a grain of salt. But I mean, you know, like you mentioned, you mentioned Doug, Doug just does his thing. He's like, I got something to say. I got a feeling about this. So here's what it is. And he does so in a very honest, open, respectful way. And, and what I keep telling people is like, this, this is what it's about, right? That's all it takes. Yes. All you have to do is be respectful. And I understand the temptation to sort of lose your temper sometimes. And that's partly because the medium encourages it. Yep. But at the same time, I think, you know, I've had, I've had arguments with, with people on Twitter and by and large, by the third or fourth exchange, we're both singing the same song and going, you know what? I understand what you're talking about. And I'm actually with you there now that I get it, now that I understand. Um, and that stuff is valuable. Yep. I think it's really valuable. And, and I think to your point, you have to take advantage Absolutely. Of, the, of the medium. There are a lot of really good people out there who are willing to give you their time and are very generous. I mean, when I wrote my book, in, in my head, and somebody said, I can't remember who told me this, but they said, look, just come up with a list of people who you would, you know, just bend over backwards to have them read it and and give you an endorsement because that's a thing you do when you write a book. So I made a list and I and I said to myself, you know what, I don't care whether some of this is unrealistic or not. Yeah. So I put I put Dr. Don Norman on the list, and I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no way this is not happening. Like he's friggin' Don Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. The godfather of UX. Right. So I find his contact info and I contact him and he's like the nicest guy on the face of the earth. And he goes, sure, send it to me. Nice. <laughs> right. And he, he didn't have time to give me like a huge review, but he did give me something and, and it was very kind uh, and very generous. And I thought, okay. And the, and the lesson from that and the reason I say that is because 
you don't know what's possible if you don't ask. Yeah. And like what I said when I asked for people to review the book was if you do nothing but just give me your opinion, that's okay too. Yeah. Because I'm always, no matter how long I've been doing this or not, I, I always feel like there's always something else to learn, you know, and you'll never learn more than when, than when someone gives you an outside unbiased opinion on something. But all you have to do is ask. And if you ask and you're respectful right. and you're upfront about it, instead of, instead of a long rambling paragraph, I've been following, lead with what you're asking, <laughs> right? And, and, and why you're asking it and why it's important to you. Yeah. Um, and, and just be respectful about it. I, I get, I can't tell you, and Twitter and Messenger in particular are ripe for this. I get these messages. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Can I ask you a question? I, are you serious? Just come out with it. <laughs> I don't have time. I mean, you know, I, I, I would, I, it would be awesome if I had time yeah. for the, the, the polite, like, hell yeah, good. How are you? How are you doing? What are you up to? Yeah. Um, and I, you want to be polite, but it's like, there are only so many hours in the day. Right. Right. Okay. I can't respond to every message that goes, can I ask you a question? Can I say, right. no, put the question in the, in the, in the state, yeah. like, just tell me now, <laughs> just, you know, or like, uh, a f one of my uh, teachers in high school like to do, you know, can I ask a question? Well, sure. You want to ask another one now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> just come out with it. Yeah. Be direct, be respectful. And like you said earlier, I mean, when you do that, what's the worst that they're going to do? The worst they'll do is not respond at all. all right. You know, the, the second worst is they, they tell you no. And you, you just kind of move on. So, and obviously this, this goes, this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm constantly shocked at the amount of people who do it. If you send a request and that person doesn't get back to you within say 24 or 48 hours, do not send three additional emails saying, you know, I sent an email three that I haven't heard from you. Like, right. Okay. Look, <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around your request. <laughs> not, not because that person is better than, than you are, right. Or that they don't have time for you. No, it's that aside from work, okay, life itself places a lot of demands on people and, and there may be something going on oh, yeah. okay, that they can't. And, and I say that because I learned that lesson the hard way about, I don't know, maybe 16 or 17 years ago where I was hounding a prospect who was going to become a client, right? And then we're at the point where we're doing a contract and they just disappeared. So I thought I was being the squeaky wheel, right? by being persistent and I was polite, but still I was a pest. Okay. I was emailing them like twice a week come to find out this person's child had died. Oh, wow. I, I don't say that to bring everybody down, okay? But it, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. So. Right, right. You just don't know. Yeah. You give it a couple of weeks. If you haven't heard anything after three weeks, send another email, say, you know, just tell me if you don't have time for this, just say, hey, look, don't have time for this. No problem. Um, but, but, but don't hound. No, that's, that's also great advice. So we're getting towards the, the end of our, our segment here. So I want to ask you, uh, some hot seat questions. All right. So first and foremost, what's a hidden talent that you have that not very many people know about? Uh, I don't mean to brag, but since you're asking, I'm uh, I'm pretty darn good at karaoke. I gotta say, really? Yeah, yeah. I love doing, and it and it's not not to say that I've got the most beautiful singing voice, but I like to make it a performance, Joe. Nice. I I like to do my all. Like I uh, went out with some friends once, and I I told them I was going to do Creed, arms wide open, ah. <laughs> and they're like. 
they're like, what? Why would you do Creed? I said, just trust me, okay? And so I kind of do the whole voice, you know, really yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. play it up and ham it up. So that's uh, that's something I enjoy enjoy doing. I think that's righteous. <laughs> that's righteous. I, I've I've done that once or twice in my life, and I actually did enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, I've played in bands yeah. uh, off and on for a long time as well. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like standing up on, on stage and speaking, right? I, 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 like, yeah. I like to be up there. It's fun. Right. Right. Um, let's see. What's next? Let me go here because this is one of my favorites because I hate to be asked it. <laughs> You're on the proverbial desert island. And let's presume that that desert island somehow has electricity. Don't ask me how. Okay. You can have one album of music or one movie or one book. What's it going to be? Oh, boy. Fun, isn't it? That's, I know that's a. I do hate that one. I see why you hate it. Um. Oh boy. It's possible. Um. I'd probably go. I know. And like my music taste is so eclectic. Like I like everything from classical to country, heavy metal. So it, it's makes it that much harder. Ah. Uh, I would probably say a movie. I, I would probably say a movie. And if I had to pick a movie, it would probably be National Lampoon's European Vacation. <laughs> Tell me why. One of my favorites, uh, you know, just uh, Chevy Chase in in those days, just the the slapstick, you know, goofy comedy stuff. I think that that would probably be my go-to. Right. Lift your spirits because you're stranded. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. I like that. I like that. I like that. Um... Tell me about something that's either related to UX or, or design or, or something therein, some commonly held belief that you hear about all the time, but that you absolutely do not agree with. I think I'll go back to, as soon as you were asking it, the, the, what popped in my mind is what we were talking about before, that this myth that you've got to come from some certain background in order to be able to do UX, You know that you've got to be a good graphic designer to be a UX designer. I think to be a UI designer, of course, that stands true. But as we've talked about examples, you've mentioned, I've mentioned, um, I don't think you have to come from any certain background to to be in this field. I think you have to have uh, a curiosity, a uh, desire to solve problems, a desire to help people and uh, do what's best for them, or at least, you know, what you think is best for them and, and what they need and what they want. You know, you mentioned Don Norman earlier, right? And the biggest thing that I took away from his book, The uh, the Design of Everyday Things, is I'm not the user, yeah. right, as the designer, and to find out what people really need, what they want, and to design and, and go around that. So that's what I think. I, I don't know if it's maybe as commonly held truth anymore that, you know, you've got to come from a specific background, but at least from my perspective, it still kind of feels that way. So that's that's something I would say. I like it. Is you don't have to have come from any specific background to do this. I agree and I like it. What would you say is your either either greatest or your proudest accomplishment up to now? Oh wow. Um that's a tough one, man. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, because we're all very hard on ourselves. We are. <laughs> we are. And uh yeah, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, you know, about sort of that fine line between being naive and being courageous, mm -hmm. right? You know, when you're looking at something. Uh, this is going to sound cheesy and cliche, Joe, but I I'm going to go with it. Um, it's okay. It it's, it it's my family. They're my, they're my proudest achievement. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, in spite of me and what I do, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the fact that I've got four four kids 
um, four boys that they drive us crazy, but still the accolades that we hear from other people, uh, you know, these are good kids, they're respectful, Mm -hmm. you know, all those sorts of things. To hear that makes me realize, yeah, okay, I'm doing something right. I don't have everything figured out. I may be aimless and wandering in my professional life at the moment, but uh, at least I know I'm doing something mostly right. And probably most of the credit for the parenting goes to my wife. Let's just be real honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I resemble that remark. (laughs) No, I don't think it's try. I don't think it's trite or cliched uh, at all. I, I think it's. I think it's reality. I think it's a beautiful sentiment, um, and I think a lot of us that have families uh, would agree as well. Yeah. So that takes me to what's the hardest lesson you think you've learned up to now? Most difficult. The most difficult thing, and this is something I'm still battling. Um, again, something we kind of touched on, but that whole aspect of fear. And I think that's what's holding me back a little bit now. Uh, somebody even asked me that as I was in that conversation about kind of that that struggling, that aimlessness. And I find that, you know, I look at something and I and I see the end result. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example that I use a lot with this playing guitar. Mm-hmm. I've learned a few chords, but I just never seem to quite dig into it like I know I need to to actually be able to play it really well. And part of it, I think, comes from a fear of failure that, well, what if I learn all this stuff? Or what if I never really actually pick it up? You know, what if I never get good at it? And the same thing could be said for UX and maybe why I'm not pursuing it as hard as I could, because there's that fear of what if I'm not good at it? What if I don't really like it as much as I, I thought I would? I think you said something to that effect earlier about, you know, what, uh, whatever thing you had been pursuing at the time. Mm-hmm. And so that lesson that I need to push through that fear, I need to acknowledge it, but I need to push through it. And maybe I'll find out at the end, whether it be this UX thing or guitar or whatever, maybe I'll find out, yeah, I'm not that great at it. But at least then mm-hmm. I could look back and say, I gave it an honest shot. Right. And and like I said, that's a lesson that I'm still learning because it, and, and in fact, I talked to, I talked with a counselor who said, you know, it's actually a physiological response. It's not just a mental thing, but it's like your body yes. just sort of tenses up at the thought of that failure and that quote unquote pain. And so rather than go through it, it just says, just stop right here. Don't even do anything and you'll be better off because then you won't have to worry about the pain. That's absolutely right. But the fact is, is if you don't even try, you, you just don't know. So that, that, like I said, that's the lesson that I've learned, but putting it into practice, I'm still battling that on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, that, that battle, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again for the benefit of hopefully you and everybody else that's listening. That never goes away. That battle does not stop. It doesn't end. There's no finite point where you suddenly stop doubting yourself or you suddenly, you know, stop <laughs> feeling like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Um, yeah. that, that never stops. So you, you have to, at some point, like one of my favorite quotes is WH Auden says, look, if you like, but you will have to leap. Yeah, that's a good. And that's just, that's just the way it is. And what we all, I think could stand to realize is that even if it doesn't work, even if you fail, there's no heavy cost to that. What you'll learn over time, and this is the benefit of, you know, people say, do you, do you feel bad about getting older? And I say, no, because <laughs> what those experiences teach you is that failure doesn't kill you. It doesn't stop you. Yeah. It doesn't prevent you from doing other things. It really doesn't. 
even when you're in the moment, you know, despite the fact that when you're in the moment, you feel like, oh my God, my life is over. This is, you know, this is a disaster. It never is. It never is. There's, there's always another opportunity. So I hope that you continue and you're doing it on Twitter. Just the fact that you're putting yourself out there at all. Okay. You need to consider that a victory. Yeah. Thanks. You need to consider this conversation a victory. Okay. There's a reason in all honesty, I'm not, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm kissing your ass here. I'm not. Um, I, there's a reason I wanted you on the podcast and that's simply based on your interactions with people. Like this is somebody who really cares about this stuff. It's somebody who has an interesting opinion, has something to say, right? Has conviction, is very astute at observing certain things and seeing patterns. And it's just, it, that speaks to who you are. All right. So all of those things are victories. You need to see them as such, right? That's, that's ammunition pushing you forward. Whether you go or not, all the events of your life up to now are sort of pushing you in this direction. So I, I think you're going to be fine. Joe, thank you so much for saying that. And, and I, I can't tell you how much of an honor this has been to have this conversation with you. I mean, I, you're one of a handful of people that I really look up to in this industry. Like I said, you're the, you're the person I credit with knowing what UX is and getting connected to the Twitter community. So for you to say those things is, is humbling and affirming. And, and uh, I appreciate that more than I can put into words. Like, like I told you, when I got your request, uh, or your invitation to do this podcast, I kind of did one of those things where I'm like looking around, you know, when you see someone in a crowd and they're pointing towards you, you start looking behind you, like, no, you're not looking at, you're, you're talking to me. And, um, so, um, it's been an honor and it's been great. Thank you for that encouragement as well. That means a lot. You're very welcome. But keep in mind that all I do is tell the truth as I see it. Okay. (laughs) It has been an absolute honor talking to you, my friend. I wish you well on your journey. I look forward to conversing with you, uh, more on Twitter Yeah, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks. You too, Joe. All right, Russ, take care. You too. That wraps up this edition of Making UX Work. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope that hearing these stories gives you some useful perspective, some encouragement. And I certainly hope that you remember that you are not alone out there. Whatever you're dealing with, someone else has been there. And just like you will, they have found a way to make it work. Before I go, I want to ask you to please check out our sponsor, Stash Studio. Once again, a streetwear clothing brand focused on quality products with a positive message inspired by the resilience to turn a negative situation into a positive outcome. Visit stash.studio to learn more. I also want you to know that you can find links to our guests' social media profiles, websites, and other things that they have accomplished by visiting givegoodux.com podcast, where you will also find links to more UX resources on the web and social media, along with ways to contact me if you're interested in sharing your own story here. Until next time, this is Joe Natoli reminding you that it is people like you that make UX work.